Welcome to the Church Safety and Security Broadcast with the Church Safety Guys, sponsored by Checker. Background screens for your faith or volunteer organization. The Church Safety Guys is a nonprofit organization. Our mission is to inspire, influence, and impact church safety and security teams. We are protectors, guardians, ambassadors, and shepherds. We are about all things church safety and security, which starts with a ministry mindset and a servant's heart. Join us for the next hour as the Church Safety Guys unpack safety, security, leadership, and ministry operations with your hosts, James McGarvey and Mike Scully. This broadcast is also available on social media, YouTube, your favorite podcast platforms, and on the all-new Church Security app. Hello and welcome to the Church Safety and Security Broadcast with the Church Safety Guys. I am uh, James McGarvey and I'm joined on this broadcast by my co-host Mike Scully. (laughs) What's up, sir? (laughs) How are you doing, Mike? (laughs) Not bad. Not bad. It's been one of those days. We hit 104 degrees today, so that was uh, a record for June. I mean, I am in Texas, but it's, it's a bit much for June. It's a dry heat. (laughs) Drier than Houston. That's for sure. (laughs) We, I think we hit, uh, I think we hit 90 today and the humidity. I didn't check, but all of, uh, if I remember correctly, tomorrow, all of Ohio is under a tornado watch. So that, that tells you how, how massive the humidity is at the moment. And they're talking about us getting, uh, getting some decent size hail. So it'll, it'll be an interesting, interesting day. So anyhow, uh, if you haven't joined us in a while or this is your first time, welcome. Uh, there's certainly plenty of resources for your church safety team at churchsafetyguys.com and also through our, uh, <laughs> yeah, Mike's pointing, all Mike's right. pointing to all the stuff in the background. I, I guess I could too, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, there's also resources on the church security app. And uh, we've actually, we've, we've been able to upload some new video content to that as well and uh, add some, some extra things to that. So uh, there's definitely some, some great content on there for, for you and your team. So typically we have a guest uh, with us uh, on this broadcast. Uh, our guest actually had technical difficulties and was not able to join us. And so we will continue, sometimes that happens, and we'll continue to work with, uh, with him and his team to, to get him on the program. Uh, but we still do want to talk about uh, active shooter situations. And so uh, if you're listening to this at a later time or maybe on the podcast or, or on the, the radio station, just keep in mind that uh, this is kind of our, our disclaimer and alert that uh, there could be some triggering words and discussion uh, with that, but we we felt like there seems to be an increase in active shooter type situations in our in our country in the last few weeks, and we wanted to address it from uh, just our perspective and uh, offer some hopefully some helpful tips and hints to uh, to help you you folks listening on mitigating some of that concern and and go through that. So. Uh, 
As always, thanks again. Thanks for joining us. If we can ever help you out with our ministry, feel free to reach out through our website or online, and uh, we're happy to help help you wherever we can. So with that said, I, I will jump back to a, a funny, quick, funny story from, from last week. So we, uh, we, we are meeting, I'm part of a church plant in central Ohio, and we are meeting in a library building in the basement. And so what's, what's hilariously funny about this is we have a half, basically we do it in about a half an hour, but we go and we transform three classrooms into uh, an auditorium, basically three different rooms for kids, nursery, and then a main sanctuary. And so when we walk in, it's set up like a classroom with tables and chairs and everything like that. But what's funny is to watch everybody move. We've had people come in and say, Hey, I'll, let me, I'd love to help you with that. Let me help you. And it's one of those things where we have it down to a science where we're just like, if you don't know how we're doing this, <laughs> just, just watch, don't, you know, don't try at this point, don't try and help. Cause it's, you know, it, it, I'm sure to some, it looks like chaos, but anyhow, so last week we were all doing our thing and one of the, I've never seen tables like this, but one of the desk tables that we, we use uh, that we have to move has latches underneath. And so sometimes those latches stick, like you have to sp spread your arms out, uh, like hugging the table to literally unlatch both sides of the table and flip the, it, it flips the top up. Very nice, very expensive tables, but sometimes those latches stick. And so what you do is you jar the table and you know, that unlatches, right? Hopefully jars the latch and unlatches it. Well, I usually carry a leather man or, you know, something with me a utility tool. So sometimes instead of jarring the table, I'll reach up and with my pliers and, and pull the mechanism and get it to work. And, uh, you know, of course everybody always cracks the jokes and says, Oh, look, MacGyver over here, he's got his handy tools, you know, and, and all that sort of thing. But it was, it was weird because we were moving tables, we we're getting set up. And one of the guys grabs a table and he lifts it up to, uh, release, release it and move it. And he can't get it unstuck. So he picks up the table and he drops it to try and jar it. And as he drops it, it actually comes down on his foot instead of the, the ground. And so he's like, all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, we're all focused. I'm running around. I'm moving tables. He's moving tables or was until that happened. And he lets out this yelp like it, sound, it just sounded painful. <laughs> so I, I turned around and I'm like, dude, are you OK? And he's like, he's, he like stands up and he's like, oh my gosh, my foot. I don't know. I got, I don't know what I did with it, but I'm out. And I'm like, okay, well, we got a cover for you. If you need something, let me know. So he goes off to sit down. Well, he goes in the restroom and the rest of us kind of try and pick up the slack and we're moving stuff and, and everything. So I'm moving another table and I look, my, my phone starts ringing and I look at my watch and he's calling me. And I'm like, why are you like, why are you calling me? So I answer on my watch as I'm, I'm pushing more tables out of the way. And he's like, Hey man, he's like, I'm in the men's room. Can you come help me? <laughs> and, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? And he's like, I, I really jacked up my foot. I need some help. 
And so I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll be right there. So I, I bail from my team setting up. I go into the men's room and I'm like, you know, I said his name. I opened the door real slowly. I'm like, are you in here? And he's like, yeah. So I walk over and I open the stall door and he's got his, his sock off, his shoe off. His foot is on the, on the floor. There is literally blood everywhere. And he's got his foot on like on paper towels and stuff. And he's like, I really messed up my foot and I don't know how to handle it and what to do. And I'm like, so you called me and he's like, well, I figured you're, you're like the, the first aid guy, you know how to handle this. And so I've had quite a few issues with, (laughs) with my toes and losing toenails and all that fun stuff. So I was like, okay, you know what? He's like, I don't know. I'm going to have, he's like, I, I don't even know what to do. And I said, okay, we need to wrap it up. Don't worry about the blood. It's not, you know, it's not bleeding too bad. It's kind of stopped. We'll wrap it up. We'll get you an ice pack and have you stay off of it. And so I'm like, in my mind, it clicked. And at that point, I'm like, wait a second. I don't have my first aid bag. Uh, And then I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, my first aid kit, my trauma bag is up in my car, which is a block away. Right. Because I'm at the library. I had to park park a block away. And I'm like, so I'm like, you know what? Stay here. I'll be right back. And I turn to leave. Well, I always, for those that know me, I always carry around gauze, gloves, and a, uh, a, a trauma bandage in my pocket. And so I'm, I, at that point, I'm like walking out of the restroom and I felt my pocket and realized it was still in there. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> so I pull it out and I basically helped wrap, you know, wrap up his, his foot and, got him situated and uh and he just starts laughing in the middle of all of that and he's like that's why i called you because you're the guy that has <laughs> well you yeah. know what i get the the mcgarvey mcgyver it kind of <laughs> has a little bit of a fit <laughs> well you know it was funny my um there's a there's a history in my family of all of the all of the men passing on swiss army knives and so we actually, we do that. Like my, I, I received my grandfather's years ago who he he's passed away now, but he had a one from the TV show, the same, same exact one. And yeah. so when he passed away, he gave it to me and my dad got one. And so, you know, my son has, has one that I'm holding on to for him because I just don't trust him with it yet. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, growing up, that was, that was my nickname people because they would try and pronounce, you know, McGarvey and, and I was always the one where I had a handy tool or I had something and they'd come to me and they'd be like, oh, you're the prepared guy. We're just going to call you MacGyver. So, so I guess two, two questions then one, (laughs) is he okay? And two, did you restock your pocket? (laughs) (laughs) the answer to both of those is yes so he's he was good you know we got him a nice pack he's he was walking around fine on it today and then yes but you know it's interesting because i always say you know if you carry a two by two bandage and some gauze wrap you can do almost anything with that and i've had people laugh at me but at the same time it's those people, you know, just a simple bandage package and gloves. Uh, I mean, you can do a lot of like 90% of treatment type things yep. instantly 
you know, and it doesn't take up that much, that much space. And it's, it's usually pretty helpful to have that around. So I, I usually encourage people, you know, stick something like that in your back pocket with, you know, a tourniquet or something like that. And then you can respond whenever you, um, whenever you have that, that opportunity. So anyhow, but yeah, that's my, that's my funny story from, from last week. So we all tease him now, um, about that, but I'm like, dude, why don't call me from the bathroom? That's just awkward. <laughs> but anyhow, we're, so we're going to jump into the, the topic. We're going to talk about responding to an active shooter, uh, type situation, and we're going to go through, and we've got a few points, um, just to, as an outline, just to kind of share with you. And, uh, we're going to run through and, and talk about some of the topics and different things you can do. But, uh, for starters, we'll talk about risk and, uh, and we'll move forward. So, um, you're welcome if you want to jump in and start on that or. Sure. Um, well, let's start off by kind of the disclaimer of the fact that churches have a tendency to immediately jump towards the active shooter threat. Um, so there's a lot of folks out there that offer training and we want to throw that disclaimer in the fact that the active shooter threat to the church is relatively low, historically speaking. Um, in fact, I think uh, I've read in a couple of places, it's around 1%. Um, and then even with that, you have to factor in that it's more likely to occur during the week than it is to occur on a Sunday service. So you look at all of that. Again, this is one of those things way more likely to uh, have a, a gentleman in the bathroom who messed up his foot and need medical attention than you are to have an active shooter situation. So that all being said, I think obviously it is still a risk. It is still something that is worth looking at. And I think kind of moving on from that, uh, that's what we'll talk about here tonight. For sure. For sure. So talking about, we'll talk about risk, planning, prevention, deterrence, detection, and then uh, response. So starting off, we're, we'll jump into uh, risk and we'll we'll kind of talk about preparation just a tiny bit. Um, but from, from a risk standpoint, I think it's important to actually do a uh, a risk assessment and and think through you know what what are possibilities what should we be prepared for um, where and and oftentimes taking a look at the demographic of the area and understanding uh, what's near us what type of communities near us um, do you have highways do you have uh, just different things like that one of the one of the assessments that we've recommended and seen some great uh, use of is the CP TED uh, assessment that a lot of folks do. And if you are looking for that type of, of assessment, that's a good reference um, to follow up with someone that does that uh, because it's not just a building assessment, but it's actually a community assessment as well. And it looks at everything, really everything that's going on around the that location um, and can give you potential scenarios and talk through or tabletop exercises to understand what uh, what some of those um, what some of those potential things are, and that kind of goes into the the planning and the threat assessment. And uh, I'll let you jump in on that. Sure, I think the next part of that is really 
the fact that when you're looking at risk, you got, again, break it down. You got both the inside threat and the outside threat. So from an inside threat perspective, of course, you potentially have the the disgruntled folks, uh, something caused from internal, uh, whether that's right. a policy of some sort, whether that's a volunteer no longer volunteering, whether that is uh, a former staff member that had to be let go, um, whether that is uh, somebody who was treated poorly in student ministry, whether that's bullying or hazing or felt like they didn't belong. That's kind of uh, all that inside threat. If you look at outside threat, then, of course, you have uh, potentially domestic. You may have spillover from the local community. You may have something that's targeting your specific church. So if you're a denomination, you may have something targeting that denomination. If you are non-denominational, you may have something targeting your specific location, uh, either because of your pastor or your status in the community, et cetera. And then, of course, we all have to look at it is the hate crime level, uh, probably the least likely of all of those uh, as far as a, a risk perspective, but it is there as well. For sure. And I think to an extent, I think it's easy to get sidetracked with some of that information because oftentimes people will say, well, wait a second, there's really, there's not, uh, there's not anything solid or clear indicating that maybe a former employee or staff member or somebody would would ever do something like that. And I think generally, oftentimes it's it's easy for us to be kind of in a denial state where we're like, you know what, that would never happen here. And those of you that are listening, I'm sure you've heard that before as well, where it's you know, sometimes churches, even talking to us, sometimes churches will say, well, there's no, there's no point in really doing that. But realistically, um, you know, we need to understand and be prepared to respond to everything, um, even if it is a smaller percentage, just because uh, strange things happen, you know, and, and we've had situations where uh, people have gotten upset um, and we were able to deescalate it in advance, but people were, people got upset at messages that were preached. Um, we've had people get upset at, at how they were treated over something that happened weeks and months before and just something escalated and built into their life till the point where they felt like, uh, they needed to do something about it. And, uh, so it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, but taking it seriously, um, We've seen a lot of churches in the past go through and put a committee together, uh, a group of folks that can really come together and discuss potential good and and bad and talk about threat analysis and talk about, you know, what what we see as potential. And sometimes committees can be a little bit frustrating. Uh, but I will say if you if your church or your denomination decides to to go with that approach, uh, make sure that you have a well-rounded group of individuals that can offer different opinions and aspects, because um, sometimes that can that can cause challenges in itself. Because if you have, uh, you know, a, a committee full of individuals that are one of one mindset, then you know maybe that's not as diverse as it should be with addressing different things that can happen. So. Um, usually if I'm, if I'm looking at that committee, I like to have older people as well as younger people, um, that can express opinions on concerns. And then, you know, then again, you're following through with just a biblical practice of, you know, seeking wisdom from a multitude of counselors. And, 
um, actually, you know, trying to, to be effective uh, across the board. So definitely something to consider. So, and that's, that kind of leads up to the prevention um, and also the ability to uh, intervene, which I kind of alluded to earlier, but if you see something uh, being able to understand and respond, if you see something posted on social media or some sign that something's not right, and, you know, we've called them on, on past broadcasts, we've called them red flags or, you know, different things like that, but that should be a clue to be able to say, okay, this, this situation isn't right. We're going to monitor this, or we're going to watch this because, um, as we deal with different things, this could escalate or this could, this could, uh, you know, de-escalate. And obviously the, the best the best plan, the best action, if you can, is to address that individual and maybe de-escalate them in the situation before it gets to that point of, um, you know, having a, a mental health crisis or or really exploding into the church. That's not always possible. Uh, but if you see something like a lot of folks, we we talk about social media and, you know, we talk about see something, say something. But uh, we really, the last couple of years, especially, we've really had to take social media uh, connected with our church very serious because people have gone on and said different things. And there's actually a team of us now in in the church leadership that will reach out to that individual. If we see something that may, may be detrimental or less than appropriate, we'll reach out to that individual and we'll say, Hey, can we talk about this? You know, is there something like maybe we can set down with you and, um, on a one-on-one, um, on a one-on-one basis and kind of deescalate some of this or address some of your concerns from a church perspective, but go ahead, Mike, you're going to jump in. Yeah. Just, uh, circle back a little bit here uh, again, as you're planning, uh, really it's a shared responsibility. You want to collaborate with everybody. Um, uh, Back to that committee, you don't want to have it to be too big, uh, smaller than 10, but greater than four. Uh, the ideal being is at least having, uh, it's not great to even have a necessarily a round number. Um, <laughs> it's nice to have, have sure. some, not that you're necessarily making a decision in all cases with that committee, but uh, you want to at least get a good cross-section, as James mentioned. Um but keep in mind, even the idea of planning for a potential active shooter, if if we looked at the standpoint of, hey, it's low risk, hey, it's not likely to happen, but it's still important to have. The other component is that it's it's a church, so they are an employer. And as an employer and as, as a, mm -hmm. uh, a place of worship, a place where people come to, they can be liable for not necessarily taking action and having a plan at all. So the mere action of having a plan uh, contributes to both that liability as well as the need for safe workplace uh, for their staff. So it's important to kind of look at that because resiliency is a key component uh, around that safe workplace. Um, but as we go into that kind of prevention, we talk about those behaviors, the uh, different things of identifying uh, triggers or people that might be uh, uh, potentially on a hairline trigger or might be on the verge of something, you want to create an environment where it's an open door. 
uh, not just the the catchphrase, of course, see something, say something, but you really want to embody that to each ministry lead uh, within the church so that you create an environment where they feel like you're going to listen, where you create an environment right. where there's active engagement. And, and that way you're actually expanding the potential of your team exponentially because you're opening that those eyes to an entire another set of teams for sure and that's honestly and that's an excellent point if leadership if if folks that are leading ministry understand and know what to look for and are connected and engaged in discipling then uh, they will be more aware and alert when something in their area happens now maybe maybe your church isn't uh, is, is a smaller church and that's, you know, you don't have a lot of ministry teams and, and that's okay, but reach out to those folks. If you don't know that individual, it's always a great resource to reach out to someone else that does. And you don't have to necessarily, because of privacy and everything else, you don't have to necessarily tell the whole church and say, Hey, something's not right with this, this person. Um, you know, you can certainly be discreet about it, but understand that, uh, if I have that resource, if I know that person has been around someone else, then for a longer period of time, and maybe they know them better, then uh, for me, you know, I'm okay with pulling him aside and saying, look, he posted something on social media that didn't really make a lot of sense. And it kind of sounded uh, a little sketchy. Is this normal? Is this a normal behavior? Or is this something that maybe... Uh, ramped up and is escalated based on a circumstance that that he's experienced. And so oftentimes folks will say, yeah, that's pretty normal for him, which doesn't excuse anything. We should still take it seriously. But if they come back, if an individual that knows him better comes back and says, you know what, this is escalated. This is not like he's he's acting out or he's uh, being more vocal then certainly that's a concern. And oftentimes folks just want to be heard. And so that's what we've learned with, with the leadership piece of it to say, you know, maybe a pastor and someone else can reach out uh, and say, Hey, let's talk. Because oftentimes when they do that one-on-one, -on -one, it allows them to vent and it allows them to have their moment to talk with you know, who they think the person in charge is. So don't be afraid to work with your, your pastor or your church leadership to try and deescalate that situation. So 100%. you were going to mention on, yeah, something no, on prevention. You're teeing up perfectly right there. Cause in that idea of prevention is intervention. And you kind of were alluding to that by, but you got to have sure. really a process, make sure that the staff and the team and everybody know of resources internally, whether it be the pastor or otherwise, for working with people who are in crisis. In other words, if, if you have somebody that is potent, potentially bubbling up and having a challenge and maybe in crisis, do you have mechanisms right. by which to release that valve and turn that pressure down before it boils over and turns into some sort of grievance or aggression? Um, so making sure that you have something in place where you can intervene uh, helps that with that prevention strategy. Absolutely. And, and I think oftentimes too, like the, the pastors at my churches, um, that I, that I attend and, and do ministry with, oftentimes I, I will say that to them. I'll say, Hey, can you respond back to this person? And they'll say, well, I'm not really a counselor. You know, I don't have that expertise. 
but at the same time, that pastor knows and is the figurehead of that church. And so oftentimes, and we've seen, I mean, I could tell you uh, store quite a few stories where we've seen uh, our senior pastor just call someone and that was enough to deescalate and bring a, bring a situation down because they just talked with them. So having that one-on-one -on -one time, don't underestimate that and definitely take that as a, uh, and use that as a resource. Um, so the next thing that we're going to jump to is deterrence and, uh, I'll let you cover that and then we'll take sure. a quick break. So deterrence really from that standpoint is uh, having those circles of security. Uh, we've talked about in the past kind of concentric layers. Uh, yeah. Beyond that is is really just the fact that you have folks kind of standing guard. Um, this is a real case for having overt and covert. That overt can really kind of show that you have a presence. Um, sure. Having an officer in the parking lot, having a squad, whatever that might be, having cameras, having uh, doors that are regularly locked. All of those are deterrents. Uh, when folks that reach kind of uh, kind of are, are escalating on a pathway to violence, they are going through and are going to reach a point where they're actually planning and looking at means and collecting those means and, and motive and opportunity. So if you are deterring and you have a, you're making yourself a harder target, you're going to make it harder for that uh, person that is kind of, again, trying to acquire that that plan uh, to then right. execute, you're going to make it harder or more likely they pick somewhere else. For sure. And, and we've seen that statistically as well. I know oftentimes that's kind of a touchy subject. And, and oftentimes churches will argue that point with us and say, well, we just believe in covert people. And if you have a smaller church, maybe that's maybe that's the easiest thing for you. Um, you know, that's not that's up to each church individually. But if a if a church asks, typically, like if a church asks me, I can tell you at at our church that we have both covert and overt people. Like we have folks that are distinguishedly marked um, as a, a part of our hospitality team or safety team. And then we have folks that will step in and do stuff that don't typically have anything except a radio. And, and we've, you know, we've blended that well, I think for our church and it's, it's worked out well where uh, we have a nice blend. I think more and more we're going to start seeing, um, seeing arguments for having someone physically marked like with a polo shirt or something like that, where, um, as that deterring factor, it just gives a better appearance because as we see, honestly, as we see younger generations coming in and, um, you know, coming to churches and, and bringing their families in, they want to see that they want to see cameras. They want to see folks being prepared and they want to know that that church has people and that presence and perception, especially in large community events and activities, uh, is beneficial. Uh, you know, one of the, the big things we're coming up on is our vacation Bible school. And that's a big community event where we're open to the public and we have a lot of folks that come in. And if we can't have an officer uh, or if we don't have those resources of having a, a uniformed officer there, oftentimes, especially when parents are picking up kids, we will have somebody with with a polo shirt or lanyard and a radio um, standing there because 
it's a, it, it, it's a deterrent. And you know, when your parent, when the parents of the kids are coming in and picking up and they get frustrated and I've seen this, I don't know how many times they see a security person standing there that instantly deescalates them. Like they take, take their voice down, their countenance down, everything goes down to a more reasonable level. And oftentimes just that individual stepping in and saying, Hey, how can I help you? You know, and, and doing the guest service piece is enough to deescalate that uh, situation and also provide a, a good perception and reality that our building is secure. And we take, you know, we take kids being secure seriously. So uh, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of benefit to it. And um, we are actually, we're going to go ahead and take a break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about detection and response. So uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. With over 50 years of experience with religious and nonprofit organizations, Thomas Alexander Insurance and Associates understands that your congregation is different from a traditional business. We're here to fulfill your needs, coming to you while creating a personal plan for your budget and size. From your local community to around the globe, we are advocates for you. Thomas Alexander Insurance and Associates, your partner in service. We all deal with stress on a daily basis. When not properly managed, we can face burnout, mental, physical, and spiritual burnout. It can be detrimental to serving in church safety and security, as well as other ministries and affect all areas of life. Coming Back brings biblical guidance for such a dilemma. In the book, Coming Back, Best-selling author James McGarvey takes a biblical-based approach to address and prevent ministry burnout. As you read Coming Back, you will easily relate to James's shared experiences, be inspired by scripture, and grow through the practical and applicable instruction found in this much-needed book. This encouraging read will affect you and your team in a positive way to continue the path of ministry with an energized and encouraged spirit. Through biblical and practical knowledge and experience, James shows that it is all about coming back to focus on what matters, coming back to the cross. At Centurion Bible College, we're authentic about relationships, we're passionate on training, we're unapologetically biblical. And as the first college in the United States to design an associate's program in church safety and security, we're innovative. Explore Centurion Bible College and you'll find the tools to be better prepared to support your community and the mission of your church, the culture to help you engage with the people you serve with, and the environment to foster learning and leadership. Discover Centurion Bible College today. Enhance and develop the skills to engage and connect with your community when they need you the most. Be intentional in your community with a ministry mindset, understand concepts of safety and security, and make a difference today. For more information or to enroll, visit centurionbc.org or churchsafetyguys.com. The Church Safety Guys help church and place of worship safety and security teams all over North America through our broadcasts, 
online communities, conferences, trainings, resources, and the all-new Church Security app. Download it today. Help us continue to reach churches by supporting our sponsors, purchasing our resources, and consider becoming a ministry partner by making a monthly or one-time donation. Remember to like, subscribe, and share this broadcast with your team. And now, back to the broadcast. All right, welcome back to the Church Safety and Security broadcast with the Church Safety Guys. As always, thanks for joining us and if you are interested in resources, feel free to reach out to our website at churchsafetyguys.com or uh, you can download our church security app and that's available on the iOS or uh, Google Play stores and has some great resources. So we actually are going to bring in uh, our guest <laughs> who, who just randomly appeared in our in our green room and we're we're appreciative so. I will bring him in. Uh, so thank you, John, for joining us. <laughs> Hi, guys. How the heck are you? Hi. <laughs> What's up, John? <laughs> it's all good. I, I, so, uh, man, I'm so sorry. I, 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 there was a mix-up. I was literally sitting there waiting. I don't, timing was weird. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's, it's better late than never, right? <laughs> for sure. We've so just been rambling for the last 30 minutes anyway. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> So Fair we're enough. talking about, yeah, we're we're talking about just uh, just some different things that churches can do to be prepared for the active shooter type situation, and um, we kind of went through risk planning, prevention, uh, et cetera, um, deterrence, detection, and response, and we're kind of to the to the response part of it, and. Mm -hmm. uh, We'd love for you to to weigh in on your your thoughts with that, and and just from a response standpoint, um, I know you do a lot of obviously a, a lot of training and different things like that. But um, what do you think? What do you think some uh, are some of the suggestions that you might have for churches to do would be for uh, responding to, to that type of situation? Well, I mean, obviously it's it's the worst day of everyone's life. If we have somebody actively actively killing people in our church, right? Sure. So, so the, the deterrence and the denial pieces, the beforehand pieces are far more important. And, and, you know, I always tell folks too: make sure that you don't overemphasize something that is a statistical anomaly, right? You know, there's, there's a couple of active killer events at churches every year in America, something like 50 million worship services. So, you know, uh, and, and honestly, if it actually kicks off, the answer here is it's not easy, but it's very simple. Um, you know, the first thing you have to do, I, I was I was taught uh, active killer interdiction first by an, an old an old Alabama boy. And and his thing was, OK, so somebody starts killing people in your church. Uh, here's your two jobs. Ready? You got two jobs. First one, find him and then kill him. That's what you got to do. And everybody goes, but wait, we have all this. Wait, wait, I'm going to back up and you tell me when I lost you. Okay. So, <laughs> so, you know, find him, which, how do you find him? He'll be the one shooting people, right? He's making a huge ruckus right now. And probably you will know. Um, 
in, in in all of the church active killer incidents that we've seen, I mean, they either announce themselves in the parking lot by killing people, in the foyer by killing people. Uh, West Freeway mm-hmm. was the first one uh, that we've seen kind of in make the national consciousness start in the sanctuary. But um, a, a simple thing that, listen, you got to have somebody there that's armed. Uh, the big difference between uh, White Settlement, you know, the West Freeway Church of Christ and, and Sutherland yep. Springs was uh, somebody armed and, and willing, somebody present, armed and willing. Yep. Um, now, of course, we also talk about the fact that that Jack Wilson um, had an incredibly high level of skill that day. And, sure. and at the distances, most people, sh- I asked Jack this too, by the way, Jack, I said, Jack, did you really mean the headshot? Was that honest before the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you mean the headshot? <laughs> and and he said, I, I knew I needed to hit him, John. I knew I needed to stop him immediately. I'm like, that's not mm. answering the question, sir. <laughs> <laughs> or did the Holy Spirit bend that bullet a little bit? I don't know. But uh, obviously a terrible thing. I haven't watched two of his friends die uh, just immediately mm. before. So having that that well of skill. Um, and I train a good number of church safety teams in, in live fire training. And I got to be honest with you. Most people are not up to that task. They're not remotely up to that task. Their Their skills are are woeful at best. And I don't berate them for that, but we do take them out and show them. Okay. So here's the real thing. Um, We're standing at 15 yards and there's a four inch uh, piece of steel out there or a four inch target and you got to hit it, go. And um, it takes a good bit of skill in order to do that. And I think a lot of people think, yeah, I'll I'll rise to the occasion. You really won't rise to the occasion. You'll never get above your best day on the training range. So, uh, you know, I, I do recommend a high level of training, a high level of confidence. And if you have, uh, you know, people on your church security team, I say people very clearly, not men, not, not guys, uh, men and women, both who are armed, they have to be cognizant of their skill level. And can mm-hmm. I take this shot? Should I take this shot? And maybe do I need to be sitting somewhere else because I can't take a shot from this far away? And so in order to be part of that, I have to be closer. So that's being honest about your skill set. Uh, but, you know, the thing sure. that I think that, in the response that that we struggle sometimes that came out of um, uh, the West Freeway shooting and everyone, you know, they always do. It's okay. So Jack uh, gets a shot on target, six and a half seconds it took him from the time he went, oh no, I need to get a gun in my hand. till the time that that guy uh, was laying on the ground uh, and an incredible shot and all that stuff. Okay, it's over. The action's over, but now everything else has just begun in the response plan. And have we talked sure. about the response plan afterwards? Because if you watch the video, about seven or eight other guys with guns stream into the sanctuary. Yep. And and all of a sudden, it's a gun show. It's it's show and tell yeah. with guns. Yep. Uh, and, and okay, I get it. You might want to, you know, have a gun in hand, all those things. But, but training that safe movement with firearms, incredibly important. And then, okay. Jack is the head of our security team, but guess what? He was the responder in that moment. He just took the shot that saved more people from dying. He can't be our scene commander anymore. Sure. So who's my backup scene commander? So who's on scene command? Who's on medical attention? Uh, you know, they, they spent, of course, because of the shock and the trauma, so much time going, oh, no, what are we going to do when somebody needed to be, I'm on the medical bag and maybe we can save somebody's life. I think the other thing people don't think about is very quickly after, of course, the sanctuary erupts, right? And people are freaking out, totally natural. And then there's a huge run on the nursery and on the children's ministry because we are getting our kids and we are getting gone. 
Sure. And so how do we handle that as an emergency? Yep. And then, of course, we're going to get a bunch of 911 calls. There's going to be a huge flooding police response, which there should be. How are we going to handle that? The fact that they are going to lock this joint down for the next umpteen hours and right. and triage all this with us. And so who, how are we going to meet the responders? How are we going to deal with the, you know, if, if somebody is not gone before the cops start showing up, they may be here for the rest of the day. And, and of course, mad about it. And so how are we going to deal with all that? So that, that response plan that you talk about, James, is, has to include more than do we have the, sh the skills to put a bullet in somebody who needs a bullet in him. Sure. Uh, but, but much more of what's the next steps? What is the follow up after that? And then of course there's the 24 hour follow up and the seven day and the, you know, six months and the grief counseling and the trauma counseling sure. and all that stuff that comes. I think um, you break the response down, John, into into kind of three is what we look at as how is your team, if you have one, going to respond in that moment? We yep. saw what you explained from, from what happened at West Freeway. How are individuals going to respond? Do you have a program? Are you mm -hmm. teaching craze or are you informing folks of the congregation to understand if this 1% or lower scenario ever were to hit here, have you even talked about run, hide, fight? Have you talked about avoid, deny, defend? Those sorts of things for the congregation. And then finally, yeah, you covered it a little bit, John, is, is when first responders show up, you know, don't have anything in your hands. Exactly have right. Those, have those mm -hmm. hands up, be ready, and make sure that you're understanding. Frankly, you should be jumping in immediately to deal with potential victims. At that response, especially in, in the scenario you talked about, once you've verified the person's down, the perpetrator's down, it is now medical. It is immediate medical, but it's also make sure there's not a second shooter. Well, and, and I think that that's certainly a thing, right? That we say, okay, wait a minute. The second that we say this immediate threat is done, now is my team of armed people um, mentally present enough to then sweep for additionals? Sure. Uh, and, and then once they find, okay, no more additionals, this guy is completely done. Then, and he's on his own doing his own yeah. thing. And, yeah. and then so, but then put the guns away and we need, you know, even necessarily somebody else who's not part of the armed response, perhaps to be on medical, uh, to be on scene command, uh, you know, to be on, on de triaging the chaos. Yep. And I think it's interesting. I wanted to go back to, to what you mentioned uh, when you first came on about the, the distance and, you know, trying to help people understand what that really looks like. And shortly after uh, the the West Freeway situation, we actually just took, basically we took a, a tape measure into our sanctuary and we said, okay, because everybody, you know, for, for a, a period of time, there was almost like a, an adrenaline rush of, oh, I could take that shot. You know, I right, could, sure. I could do that. And, um, I actually, I had him watch your video where you did it in, in a gun, uh, in a gun range, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and, and try and replicate it. And then I said, okay, let's actually measure, let's measure the distance of the sanctuary because, you know, with force perception, with the different lights, um, you know, just, just different things like that. It's always longer than you think it is. It's always a, a greater distance from one point, yeah. like well, where you would sit to somewhere else. So just from is, that, is that, 
yeah, yeah, go ahead. I mean, the reality <laughs> is people overestimate their skill level, you know, and yeah. <laughs> underestimate the complexity of the problem. So, but yeah, that was, that was great for us because after we measured it off, you know, we just went out to the range and said, look, that's the distance. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you need to move, get off your, you know, get off your, your access, move, you know, get closer, do what you need to do, but you know, don't be foolish and, and just make that assumption. So it, it was very eye opening from that standpoint. You know, uh, Ed Monk from last resort firearms training does, he's probably the national subject matter expert on active killer interdiction. I don't, I don't think he's necessarily um, focused on churches, but it certainly applies there in those things. And one of the things he does in his uh, active shooter interdiction class, which is a fantastic class that every, I think every church team should, should really think about attending. <clears throat> but uh, he has his students start at five yards and shoot in a, in an eight inch circle as, and then start stepping it back. If you can put five shots in that circle at five yards, we step you back to seven, then to 10, then to 15, then to 20. Is anybody left at this point still shooting at 20? Okay. We'll go 25. Is anybody, is anybody left here? Uh, you know, and, and that's not to shame anybody and that's not to, you know, uh, have a prize for the best shooter or whatever, but that's to say that's your current skill level. And if right. you don't know that, then you can't do what Jack did and stand and deliver. You got to move in and deliver. And, and that's a, oof, that's, that's a problem of, of courage and for sure. Yep. And that's, that's an, uh, interesting, uh, test too. I didn't necessarily do it five and five in that way. Uh, to your point, John, but we actually did uh, test that uh, recently at a range where we're saying, okay, can you take the Jack shot? Can you take the Jack Wilson shot? And that, and honestly, it was at towards the end of the day and, you know, we'd been shooting all day and things like that. And it was really more the, Hey, let's, Oh, by the way, let's, it wasn't on the agenda. It wasn't on the direct training plan. So people (laughs) didn't know it was coming. It was all of a sudden, Hey, let's put him in that situation and let's see what we got. And we put everybody through that and see what they see who can put one on target. That that can be ego crushing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, you know, uh, is, is about following Jesus too, right? Putting to death self and all those things. So so it's not a bad thing, but you know, recognizing, hey man, um, it's funny because I think some people, you know, I work very hard on my handgun skills. I mean, I I work pretty hard at them. I train a lot, I go to the range a lot, I practice a lot, I dry fire a lot. And, and so people are like, well, you know, John, not everybody can do what you do. That's just hogwash. It's, they, they, they probably can't, you know, real people with real jobs probably can't go to gun school as much as I do. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm unemployable now. I'm pretty much feral. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can, you can dry fire. You can get to one day of training a year, at least, that, that's paid training, you know, yeah. to, to help you build a new skill set. You can get to the range, uh, man, every month or two. It's not that much you know, and put a couple boxes down range and do so with a plan and have a pretty high skill level. It's not rocket science. Yeah. And that's, that's actually, that's one of the things that both Mike and I do on a regular basis. Like we'll get together at the beginning of the year and we'll say, okay, what training do we want to, to touch on this year? And if it's just that one class, then, you know, trying to improve our skills or trying to do something like that. But absolutely what, what you said is, is, is absolutely accurate. You know, it's not, it's not rocket science. You just need to, to make the time to, to do it. Well, and, sure. and a handgun, quite frankly, is, is not easy to shoot well at distance. It takes work. And uh, the other part of that mm-hmm. is I tell guys all the time, they show up to church safety and <clears throat> well, I carry the little pocket gun at church. 
And I go, sure. but the problem <laughs> is, is that your shot has such a higher chance of being a long, difficult shot. And you're going to do that with that LCP? Yep. Uh, you know, I mean. Probably um, not. <laughs> yeah, gosh, man. I hope not because I, I, I'm trying to shoot LCP at 15 yards. You would call that LCP stands for little crappy pistol, not because it's poor quality, but because it's hard <laughs> to shoot, you know. And I want the big gun with the red dot on it and all that stuff, you know, because I got to make that shot. So, um, absolutely. And, and knowing that and building that, and I don't want to, honestly, it's one of my fears is that, that, um, I fail on that day and then I have to stand before Jesus and answer for that. And I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Yep. I always joke with people. I say, why'd you bring your backup God? Uh, right. <laughs> so where's your real one? Tom Gibbons jokingly calls those starter pistols. They're good at starting fights, but not very good at ending them. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, somebody it, with the LCP, and you know, if you do, and if he finds out about it, he'll probably be mad. <laughs> one of uh, one of one of my friends was was commenting on that, and actually, we were talking about it the other day, and he mentioned that the sites were were really just not great sites on the LCP. And I said, you know, I said here's the deal. It's not meant to have fantastic sights. On right. it. I'm like, let's just be honest. It's meant to be a, a 10 foot gun backup at maybe the, the best. Yep. <laughs> so right. but, yeah, the gun that you carry when you couldn't possibly carry something else and get away with it, you know, like, right. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And, and that problem you're going to face in the church, man, uh, the church I pastored was not a big church. And, you know, my typical, you know, from my pulpit to the back door was about 19 and a half yards. And, and that's not a big church. And I've been to many churches since that have double that, triple that in their sanctuary that they have to, to be able to hit. Whew, that could get spicy. That's a big difference for sure. The uh, a couple, a couple of thoughts I had, I wanted to circle back to that uh, we were talking about a little bit beforehand. But really is the, the in this situation where you got folks on a committee or you're planning for this, you may even have a pastor that may be stuck in denial. Uh, well, they're not even willing to talk about this and they're not willing to deliberate or even talk about it. So you really got to get beyond that. You really got to get to that uh, uh, decision to have a team, the decision to say, hey, we have to take active uh, uh, active reasons to have a reason to mitigate and, and prove that. But then beyond that is you even covered it a little bit, John, is in the sense you got to have actual decisive movement. You got to make a decision and you got to act. You, you can't, you can't, you just got to go. And uh, you brought up a great point though. I, I like the the fact that the incident command, uh, the scene commander, if you will, it, from the person who was that lead from a Jack perspective is, yeah, you, you just got your guy who was normally the guy who was normally your seat commander. What, what's your backup? Well, uh, and not the least become? of which, because Jack was the one whose heart was still engaged and he was thinking still. So that guy goes down, he has to strafe. And now I've got him covered. I've still got eyes on him. So yeah. I can't command the rest of the scene until somebody comes and says, Hey, take over this right now. Then I've just been in a deadly force encounter. Sure. And so what's going on in my lymph system right now, my brain is, right. is, got cortisol and chemicals of a million different types. Uh, and, and I very well may have a heart attack right now. And so yeah. who's backup? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And that's important regardless, not just in this, in that scenario where in an active shooter is, do you have folks on your team that can step up and become that scene commander mm -hmm. in a moment's notice? Uh, right. so you have flat tire on the way to church. 
who's it on that day? Can they take that? Uh, can they take right. that responsibility? Not every church has that that luxury, I guess, or has the uh, readiness for that. Uh, but it is it, the next thought I had really was kind of the three layers I covered a little bit is the idea is that that first layer that you really want to involve where you're training and really informing is all of your staff, all of your leaders, every ministry lead. They should understand what is your process, what is your policy, what's your procedure, how are you likely to respond in the event of an active shooter? How are, how should they respond as individual ministry leads or even classroom leads, for that matter, if they're in with the kids? What's that process? And I, I found that there's a lot of uh, discrepancy out there, I think, within the church community in, in chat, things like that. The difference between lockout versus lockdown. And I think the, the difference that I'll cover quickly, and then you can add any thoughts you have there, John, is locking out, obviously, is secure perimeter, is locking people from even accessing. Mm -hmm. Locking down is turn off the lights, lock those doors, and be out of sight, uh, really, in that sense. And I think there's there's immediate, I think people throw around the term lockdown kind of generically of, uh, I'm just going to turn the lock, but they're not getting that other part. I, I totally agree. And I also think, I'm of the mindset now, this would be disputed by some, uh, that even when we don't run regular fire drills, like when's the last time you ran a fire drill at church? Like you just don't, you know what I mean? But if you're smart, you have a fire plan up mm -hmm. in, in various sure. places that says, hey, here's your nearest exit, get out of the building, here's a big fire extinguisher. And, and you know, that's st strategically placed and especially your staff, your volunteers, everybody knows what that is. I think we should do that and inform our congregations as well of, of a basic plan. If we, you know, again, to, to deny access and lock out, to lock down, if we have to, here's your exits from here. If you can run and be gone, be gone. Like it, it starts and you can get out of here, go. Um, and, and, you know, here's what our plans look like and how that's going to work. And so I, I think that's not, uh, you know, I, I know some people think, well, we don't want to worry people. We don't, but they're already worried. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we don't want to scare people or or make them, you know, uh, tense at church or whatever. Good, then then inform them. Here's what will happen if we have this kind of emergency. So we got it covered. We're we're ready. Yeah, and that's where it gets into kind of craze <laughs> and things like that. Where so like James and I are both certified to teach craze. That's more of a civilian response to active shooter. But not all churches go that level of informing their congregation yeah. of hey, we have a safety team and here's what you should do if that happens. It's worth having that conversation. Not all churches necessarily, but it's worth having that conversation. I think it's worth having the conversation because I think a couple things. Number one, it respects the intelligence of your congregation. They know that there's a problem and they should know that there's there's some things in place. That to me is no different than, hey, here's our children's ministry security standards and what we do with our kids. Here's how we make sure that they're safe from, you know, sexual abuse, but also from, you know, uh, being taken by somebody in a custody dispute or whatever. And, and that tells a congregation, no, we've thought through these things and we respect the fact that, that we want to mitigate risks to you. And, and it also provides preparation that if it happens, we have a path in place, go walk the path. You don't and, have to create it in the moment. And honestly, I think it's interesting that you say that because every time something happens, whether it's a, a synagogue shooting or, um, you know, a, a place of worship type active shooter event, uh, the next Sunday, you know, I have, I have folks that laugh at me, but the next Sunday we always have more people on 
on her schedule, more of a presence. And the reality is my, as the safety director at my church, my reality is those days I switch hats. I put the, I put the PR hat on mm-hmm. <laughs> right afterwards because most of my day is spent talking to the church elders or church leadership team or, you know, that sort of thing. Because when that's fresh in, in people's minds, that's when they come to me and they'll say, Hey, how are we planning to do this? Like, how are we covered? I just want to make sure that, you know, that we've thought through all of this and, and just having an open and honest discussion, um, you know, from that point. Yeah. And, and obviously when people are grieving and they're processing, when something terrible happens, you know, that's the time for us to help them process grief. And I, I look at church safety as a part of the hospitality ministry. Um, sure. That this is this is part of making people feel welcome and safe. You know, you got to be safe in order to have emotional space to connect. Sure. Uh, you got to feel safe. And so that's part of doing that, in my opinion. And and so I, I love that approach that you say, hey, I, I've got my PR hat on. I, I, it was funny. I um, I was at a church not long ago, one of my former Bible college students uh, from when I taught Bible college. And he's a pastor now. And he's like, John, we had a couple of problems with a guy uh, coming into our sanctuary, blah, blah, blah. It's Easter Sunday. And and we thought about having some like significant presence, like maybe off-duty law enforcement. What do you think? And I'm like, is your congregation used to having off, you know, like uniformed cops on campus? Sure. No. I'm going to guess Easter Sunday is not the day to, to invite that because <laughs> people are going to show up and go, what's happening here? You know, yeah. like what's yeah. going on? And so it, it was kind of funny because I, I said, look, I'll solve your problem for you this week. I'll show up and just just hang out and make sure that nothing happens. And I will be your heavy that nobody knows is a heavy. Uh, OK, cool. Thank you so much. Sure. No problem. So anyways, uh, my wife and I uh, and my oldest went and worshiped there on Easter Sunday. It was great. Uh, wonderful congregation. And, and as we got done, it was it was kind of funny because some of his guys that are kind of an informal thinking about an informal team. They came up and they were like, man, you were. um you weren't just like posted up somewhere you were engaged and like, you know, uh, a part of things. And I'm like, yeah, man, I mean, security is <laughs> hospitality and hospitality is security, man. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I, I can't just, I'm not like, you know, I got a microphone in my ear here and sorry, I'm doing security, <laughs> well, you know, kind of check your ID or whatever you do belong here. That's not how you do things. That's not, that's, you know, that's not how Jesus sure. wants his house. <laughs> yep. You're not a bouncer. Right, exactly. Right. What I say all the time, it, it happens. But it, it's and I've done that too. I had a I had a church that I previously actually ran the team, and they had an elevated risk day, and they had somebody that they had a known individual, and they don't normally also have cops in the in the in the parking lot, but yeah. they've had the call in the past and things like that. So I got the call that day. Similar situation, show up, and it's like, okay, no, I'm not going to put an earpiece in, and no, I'm not wearing the polo shirt, but I'm there. And it's just one of those extra layers of things that, that sometimes you need to do yeah. uh, to kind of keep keep that keep that significant presence down, but also be responsive enough. But I think beyond that, that goes into communication. I think in, in that sense is the, the communication across the teams about what you're going to do. James talked about it is in that flurry of activity following an event in the local community or even a, another community. There's this attention. So the attention is an opportunity to communicate more and not just answer their question, but go even further. Because if you have a small budget, that's the opportunity to get more budget. If you have uh, a, a need that you haven't addressed yet, that's the opportunity to raise that need yeah. because they're, they're already clued in. They're already focused on it and they're, they're receptive at that moment. So don't wait until uh, three months later and then bring it up. 
mention it, even if you think, oh, we're not ready for it now, but I wanted to mention it to you now. Plant that right. I want it, I want it on your radar. Exactly. Yeah. And that's honestly, I mean, we we talk to churches all the time. And in fact, I talked to one last week that reached out to me and they were um, trying to start a team. And the, the gentleman emailed me and he's like, hey, this is what we're doing. And he was getting really frustrated with his church leadership because they weren't acknowledging the necessity of the team. And part of the conversation was really, really just focused on firearms. Like he was like, I, I really want to carry. We need to have a team that carries. And that's that's what the safety team is. And I wrote I wrote a, a very lengthy email back to him. And I said, look, brother, I said, <laughs> there's a hundred things to worry about. Yeah. I'm like, you're probably not going to like what I'm I'm going to say, but you asked me for my opinion. So I'm going to tell you how I would handle this. And and that's exactly what what I did. I said, you know, I said, there's so many other things that you could focus on now and, you know, start gradually plant the seed and then come back to it, you know? And, uh, it's always, it's always amazing to me. I mean, you've, you've been a pastor before I've been a pastor before, but having the perspective of a Sunday where folks will be like, yeah, I want to talk to my pastor today. Cause I'm seeing him. Yeah. And it's like, let's, pause that let's let's catch up with them during the week maybe not on his yeah. busiest day oh, yeah because yeah, sunday you know you've got all the time in the world you got the right the 47 <laughs> hey can i just get two minutes of your time okay okay all right babe i'll be home about uh dinner time sweetheart i love you and i'll talk to you later <laughs> <laughs> and, sure. and of course the other side of that is when you come and you say hey i want to plan i want to put this on your radar i want to ask for some budget i want to do some training and this and that yeah. Look, I, I'm from a small church environment, you know, of a, a 200 people and under, and there's never enough money to go around. There's never enough volunteers to go around. There's never enough time yeah. to go around. And so, you know, there's a big difference between, uh, hey, pastor, you know what we should do, which means this is what you should do. And hey, pastor, <laughs> my heart is, I feel like I want to be part of this and, and I need your help. Oh, oh, you need a cheerleader? Oh, I'm into cheerlead, but I'm not into lead lead. <laughs> Okay. I don't want to be the head coach on this one, but I'll, I'll, I'll wave pom-poms for you for sure. <laughs> yep. Well, you got to bring a solution. You don't bring a problem. Right. Is if, if you bring this solution, they're going to be absolutely on board with, Hey, how can I help? And how can I make that possible for you? But if you're giving them more mm -hmm. problems, they're just going to think, Oh, one more problem on, the, on my plate of problems. Right. Amen. And they got enough. Trust me. Yep. <laughs> and for every person that's coming and sure. saying, Hey, you know, I, I think we should have an armed team, which I would go with. There's somebody else over here who says, Pastor, don't you dare let somebody bring a gun in this church. And I've got to I've got to balance yeah. those perspectives and I've got to I've got to try to to shepherd people in those different disparate perspectives and respect them and recognize what that is. And so, I mean, obviously, I have thoughts about the matter, but, <laughs> I, you know, I recognize what the, and you probably the other part of that your pastor can't tell you is if he has, you know, this person over here who's like, don't you dare, he's not going to be able to tell you that because that's said in confidence and he doesn't want to rupture your relationship with that person. Yeah. And so you've got to balance those two. For sure. For sure. Well, we definitely, uh, for sake of time, we do need to wrap up, but we definitely appreciate you joining us. Uh, I'm so sorry this, for the technological hurdles, guys. Please forgive. No, it's it's awesome. I, I, I will throw it back to you, though, because... Um, you've got your 
is it uh, bullets and Bibles conference plan this year? And I know yeah, you, yeah, you like to share about that. So yeah, the ASP national conference is the last full weekend in September. Uh, it's 23, 24, 25 September this year. It's in um, just outside of Manhattan, Kansas at the living water ranch. You can go on our website, active under the training tab. There's a link there to the national conference, which we jokingly call bullets and Bibles because listen, I'm, I'm leading it. So guess what? We, I mean, it's conference <laughs> style, right? So come to what you want. Um, there's there's live fire classes, classroom classes, um, non-shooting classes. There is uh, we start every morning with devotion. If you want to come and sit and read scripture and talk about Christ a little bit and pray, uh, we have meals together. We do a worship service on Saturday night, but it's kind of a worship service my style. So it's kind of, you know, uh, church in the park. Uh, <clears throat> it's all a fundraiser for the Flint Hills foster teen camp. They help abused and abandoned foster teens uh, see the love of Jesus, which is incredible. It's an incredible ministry Mike and Lisa do. And uh, they're not supported by a single church in their area either. It's all self-funded. So uh, we get out there and, and help them do that. It's a fantastic weekend. We do teach our entire church safety class. So my entire full-day church safety class is part of that. Uh, it's broken up, but, you know, uh, sure. I, I teach the classroom portion. Uh, Neil Widener, our CMO, uh, teaches and our training director teaches the, the live fire portion. Um, so that will be in there as well. Um, and it, it's a great time. It's my favorite weekend of the year. I leave it completely empty. You know, uh, I poured out every bit out of my bucket that I possibly have. And, you know, I limp <laughs> home on Monday or, you know, late Monday or whatever afterwards. And, and uh, but it's a great time. And we'd love to have uh, anybody there. We, we're not full yet, but uh, there's not a ton of spots. And, and it's cool because it's um, not just a fundraiser, but you don't even I, I have nothing to do with the finances. In order to sure. come to the conference, you click through and make a donation to the Flint Hills Foster Teen Camps that sends a teen to foster camp for a week. And nice. then Lisa sends us an email that says, Hey, this person's registered, which is pretty cool. Nice. Awesome. That's great. I remember you mentioning that uh, similar last time when you, that you came on mm -hmm. and uh, found that to be just an amazing difference. There's so many folks out there doing training and doing different events and things like that. And they seem to all have this, this super narrow focus, but I like that you're, you're trying to do some good and, and raising money for, for something beyond just your own organization. And I think that's, that's great. Uh, you know, Jesus, uh, when I stand before the Lord at the end of my life, he's not going to ask me, um, how, how big a pile did you leave left over, John? He's going to say, what'd you do with the gift I gave you? <laughs> and, and he's given that's me true. a gift of this social media platform and I get to help people every day. And that's great. Uh, last year yeah. we, we came this close. I think we just broke over raising a hundred thousand dollars for the Flint Hills foster teen camp. Um, and we're, we're trying to make that more this year. They just literally yesterday had a tornado rip through the facility and I think ripped the roof off of one building. Nobody was hurt, but, uh, mm. some pretty significant property damage. So, uh, okay, we'll see you in September and we'll raise as much money as we can and try to get that stuff fixed. So for sure, for sure. Okay. Well, we will, uh, we will call it, uh, a broadcast and, uh, thanks so much again for joining us. And uh, as far as uh, our resources, certainly you can reach out to us through our website at uh, churchsafetyguys.com. Uh, Mike, did you want to wrap up something? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I think that's you're going to cover the th th uh, same sort of thoughts I was going to go down anyway. And uh, John, thanks for thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on the show. We're, we're honored uh, that you take time to come out here and talk to the folks that are in this niche, uh, in this world of church safety and security. So thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. For sure. 
All right. So we will um, actually next week we are going to um, take a break. And because it is uh, Father's Day weekend, we will have a, a pre-recorded broadcast uh, from, I think, the last time, uh, maybe last Father's Day. <laughs> but usually what we do is we try and pick one that would be beneficial uh, and a good topic Uh with a guest and then we'll play that as well. So we hope that you have a great uh, Father's Day weekend and we will be back uh, actually the following week. I believe we're going to be talking about uh, personalities again and we'll have, uh, I believe Jason Hebner will be joining us. He's been on the broadcast before and he'll be talking with us about uh, just different personality traits and leading your team. And Jason's always a great, a great guy. I actually went to church in high school with him. Um, but he is just an amazing researcher on uh, team personalities and individual personalities. And so we love having him come on and uh, he'll, he'll be a great blessing as well to, to go through uh, some of that, uh, some of that content for you all. So until next time, take care. Uh, God bless and have a great week and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for joining the church safety and security broadcast with the church safety guys sponsored by checker. We hope that you found it informative and we appreciate your feedback. Be sure to share our broadcast with your teams. Join the discussion online and for other great resources, download the Church Security app or visit our website at churchsafetyguys.com. Remember, keep a servant's heart, a mindset of ministry, and semper disciplina. Always be training. Have a blessed week.